Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, we were talking this morning about Measure Measure 114, which is a measure that just supposedly passed in Oregon, will infringe upon the rights of the individual to keep and bear arms, and therefore the right of the individual to protect himself, his family, and his community. And the amazing thing about this, we, we set... The groundwork a little bit this morning in this morning's program to set the environment in which this is all taking place in relationship to the gospel of the kingdom. And the interesting thing was that this particular measure was actually based on the efforts of a person claiming to be a minister of Christ. And, of course, I don't actually think he is a minister of Christ. <laughs> I think that he is actually a uh, minister of the synagogue of Satan. And he's actually opposite of a minister of Christ. Although, if you looked at him by a lot of people's standards today of who Christ is, what Christianity is, they would imagine that uh, he is he is a minister of Christ. And uh, the reality is, is I don't believe so. So the question is, am I right? Am I wrong? <laughs> so anyway, the measure 114, there's a, we talked a great deal about some of the dishonesty uh, surrounding it and setting it up and some of the violations of law, just getting it passed and the deception by those who we're claiming that uh, that it is an actual, you know, viable measure that is constitutional because even though it's a state measure, it has to be constitutional according to the United States Constitution and there are limitations written in the Constitution. Now, we've done a lot of writing about the Second Amendment and about the right to self-defense and some of the series that we've done before years and years ago are actually used by police officers or used by schools that train police officers. They want, they got contacted us and asked if we could use the series that I produced on self-defense, uh, the right of self-defense, the natural right of self-defense, if they could use it in the training of their police officers. And I thought it was great. I haven't followed up. Uh, I assume that they've used it for some time now because I wrote that a long time ago. And we occasionally put it out and publish it. But the reason that we talk about the right of self-defense is the right of self-defense is the responsibility of not only self-defense, but of defending your neighbor, of defending your community against unwarranted usurpations. Now, if you look at the early church, there was a great deal of people who were persecuted and were actually put to death in the Roman arena. And we have a lot of uh, stories about that that have come down to us through the ages that Christians were persecuted and persecuted even unto death. Uh, they were definitely, we talked about it this morning, 14,000 families were cast out of Rome. Uh, they had to leave. They were deported from Rome because they were causing an unrest. But the unrest was the fact that they were, what they were doing was they had set up a system of social welfare based solely on charity. And uh, required that it 
that the charity that was provided to the needy of society actually strengthened the poor. Because that's what the problem of Sodom and Gomorrah was, is they had created a system of social welfare that did not strengthen the poor, actually weaken the poor. And we've written all kinds of articles and quoted all kinds of uh, economists, Thomas Sowell, um, just numerous uh, individuals who showed that the systems of social welfare that you set up, I mean, we can go all the way back, you know, 2,000 years, they were saying that if you set up a social welfare system of legal charity based on compelled offerings, you can go all the way back 3,000, almost 4,000 years and find quotes on this, that you will degenerate society and destroy it. And, of course, we can look at, you know, the black community in America that had, you know, 3% single-parent families, very strong families. They were upward mobile and uh, most of America uh, economically, and then suddenly they took a plummet. And uh, they ended up with, you know, 75% single-parent families. A great deal of the wealth of the black community disappeared. Uh, there's a great many people in the black community that are not upwardly mobile economically. And you can blame it on all kinds of things, but you certainly can't blame it on the fact that there used to be a slavery in America. Uh, you could possibly suggest that the some of the the prejudicial laws that you find in the Deep South that were keeping people from upwardly being progressive in their uh, financial status was keeping black people down. But, you know, in the case of like uh, Larry Elder and his father, uh, he recently just posted a memorial to his father and he has a whole book written about his relationship with his father. His father was certainly disadvantaged by some of these laws dealing with blacks uh, and that was uh, literally oppressing the strangers in their midst, the black uh, community in the South. And so he ended up going out to California and uh, still had a difficulty finding jobs, but did find jobs, did find work, did find lots of work. Not always the best of work, but he didn't have the best of education. I think he left school when he was like eight, eighth grade or something like that. But... He became very successful, started his own business and uh, raised his son. His son became a lawyer, became Larry Elder and ran for governor and should have won. <laughs> California be way better off if they had elected him governor. But he understands that what's destroying the black community is this system of social welfare based on forced offerings, forced by the government instead of on charity. And you can read Alexis Tocqueville and we have... We have articles up. We have the names of his books. You can get his books. You can read them. A lot of his books you can read online because he published them back in the early 1800s telling about what really made America great. It wasn't the president. It wasn't the Constitution. It wasn't the legislature. It wasn't the judiciary. These are not the things that made America great. Now, we had lots of assets in America. We had a lot of natural resources. But they had the same natural resources down in South America, and they did not reach the same degrees of poverty. My son was telling me a funny story. He, uh, At his wedding, uh, he had, you know, groomsmen uh, from Brazil, uh, Holland, uh, Sweden, uh, I don't, I don't remember everybody. I mean, there were quite a few foreigners in his, in his groomsman party at his wedding. Uh, and, uh, 
they went to town, uh, actually in my wife's van, and uh, they were getting pulled over. I can't remember what. They didn't get a ticket. Oh, I guess he, he kind of made an illegal turn. It was raining. The streets were wet. And the signs aren't very good there. And the reason this story even came up is we were driving in the same location. And it's kind of tricky because the, the road is offset. You you go across, but then all of a sudden the road is like over here a little bit. And it's it's because of the Federal Railroad. And... Uh, and he did not see the painted arrows on the roadway because of the rain and the the lighting at that time. And the cop didn't give him a ticket. He, he admitted, you know, I didn't see it. But when he was pulled over, everybody was having a different reaction. And the car, seeing that the police officer was, had lights on behind the vehicle. And... Uh, it was interesting the different reactions from the different countries. <laughs> you know the the uh, uh, the guy from uh, Sweden had one reaction, and the guy from Netherlands had another reaction, and the guy from Brazil thought, "Oh, we're going to go to jail," and uh, "Oh no, I'm going to get beat up," and all this kind of stuff because the police, if they're pulling you over in Brazil, you could be in a lot of trouble. Evidently, at least that was his impression. But uh, my son handled it. <laughs> didn't even get a ticket. But the the environment in which they lived and their view of government and law enforcement were quite different in the different countries. And that same difference or perspective that we could talk about also varies at different times in the history of the same country. That you may think that everybody was in favor of the Constitution, everybody you know, was in favor of a federal government. But the reality is most of the people at the time of the ratification process of the Constitution of the United States, and I'm picking my words words kind of carefully, ratification process, uh, most of the Americans did not want the Constitution. They opposed it. And they would have voted it down if it had anything to do with the people. But the people were not, the people in the individual states the average American, you can even call them citizens according to the first definition. Go to our page on citizens. And there's multiple definitions of citizens. And there is a general natural uh, inhabitant who could be called a citizen. But then there is another citizen who is a legal member or legal person. That's a different kind of citizen. And so when I say a word like citizen... You may be thinking one thing and somebody else may be thinking another. If I say it to somebody from Brazil, if I say it to somebody from Sweden, if I say it to somebody from Germany or somebody from Holland, they all may think something different. Same word, but they're all thinking something different. If I say it to somebody in 1776 and I say it to somebody in 1850 and I say it to somebody in 1905 and say it to somebody in, <laughs> uh, you know, 2020, everybody's going to have a little bit different perception of what that word is, which is one of the reasons why when we look up words and we use words on our web pages and the, the hundreds of articles that we present, the thousands of recordings that we present, trying to understand the road to freedom and the road to bondage. Because a lot of people think they're on the road to freedom and they're actually on the road to bondage. And they don't know that. Because they're not good at reading the 
road posts, the signposts, you know, the, the markers along the road, uh, but they also just don't understand how systems work. And there's somebody who talks about systems all the time. I hope to find a little time to study some of his work because he's a brilliant guy and it says Dr. Shiva. And, but he talks, I have heard him talk recently a couple of times and some of the things he says is very close to, you know, when he talks about systems and grassroots movements and everything. Very close to what Christ was talking about back in the days of, you know, the Pharisees and Christ and the early Christians. It's it's close, but I have to further investigate it to tell you and get a report back to you. But uh, and it will be a great uh, subject uh, to see where he is spot on and where he's maybe a little bit off. And so today we're going to talk about a little minister who's up in Portland who was instrumental in passing Measure One One Four, which is changes to firearm ownership and purchase requirement initiative, and. Uh, and we quote on the page now, you know, the Oregon Constitution, Article 4, Section 1, Section 1D. There's other sections that I may eventually quote, like Section 5. And uh, there's violations of these sections of the Oregon Constitution, as well as Section, uh, well, Article 7, Section 1 has certain rules. And if you don't know all these things and are well-versed in all these things, you can you can break the law and not even realize you're breaking the law. And, of course, it is my opinion that in order to get this measure passed, they broke the law. Now, there's going to be people taking this to court. It won't be me. I'm not going to take it to court. But I want people to understand what's really going on. If you read all our, our articles on the right of self-defense, you would... Well, I'm not going to say you would understand. <laughs> you might understand. But we get into things rather deeply... But we also try to simplify it so you can kind of understand. One of the things in Article 4, Section 1, uh, is they're talking about single-subject ballot names and titles. And you can put a name on it, and it's basically, you can put a name on a, a measure or, or uh, something on the ballot, and it sounds like, you know, right to life, or right to this, or right to that, and... Uh, it actually does the reverse of what the title is suggesting. And uh, unbeknownst to the guy who was the chief sponsor of this measure, uh, maybe un unbeknownst, I don't know. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I, somebody said I was rather hard on him in the program this morning, and I probably was. But, uh, you know, he needs to be disciplined. Uh, he needs to be called out. He needs to be it pointed out that, uh, he's doing the people of Oregon a terrible, terrible disservice, going to cause the deaths of probably untold amounts of people. He's uh, not making the country safer by any shape or form. And he's going against, he's going against the teachings of Jesus Christ, yet claims to be Reverend Mark Knudsen. Now again, now I said this this morning, I, it, because I was so hard on him, maybe people didn't quite catch it. I'm just using him as an example, the same as I'm using Measure 114 as an example, to try to show you the process of going down the wrong road, going in the wrong direction, and uh, being misled uh, by quotes from the Bible. I mean, you can read quotes from the... I mean, we know 
People have taken the Bible and created all kinds of religions that have done all kinds of harm. They have religions out there claiming to be following Christ in the Bible, and they've actually killed thousands and thousands, maybe millions of people. I mean, there were, there were Christians in the Nazi army. There were Christians in the slave trade. There were Christians uh, on north and south, or at least people calling themselves Christians. But are they really Christians? Are they really headed towards freedom and liberty under God and seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Or are they seeking something else? And that's what's so dangerous about labels. The label somebody, you know, a minister of Christ. Because he's got a collar and he says, you know, he quotes the Bible occasionally. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who say they're ministers of churches. And they never quote the Bible. <laughs> but then there's a lot of people who... Uh, claim to be ministers of churches and quote the Bible all the time, but they're actually leading people away. And that's eventually where we got to uh, showing that uh, Jesus said there would be false prophets, false Christs. People saying that they're ministers of Christ or servants of Christ or uh, Christians. And they're not. They're actually workers of iniquity. And so, how do you tell who is who? Well, you measure. <laughs> so, what do we use as a measure? Well, James talks about how you measure by what they do. Not what they say, but what they do. Which is exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said, not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do it the will of the Father. And the will of the Father would be the will of God, or divine will, or as we said this morning, that would include natural law, or right reason. And, and you say words like natural law and right reason. Well, everybody thinks their reasoning is right reason. <laughs> they all think they are reasonable. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there are some people so evil that they know they're not reasonable, but they don't care. Uh, but the, generally speaking, most of the people that are wrong think they are right. Think that they're reasonable. And... The, even the concept of natural law, which, like I say, natural law, right reason, uh, the will of God, uh, all these, you know, divine will, all these phrases are convertible phrases. They all mean the same thing. You can look them up in dictionaries and they will say, well, that another way of saying the natural law is, or the law of nature, is to say the will of God. And, of course, we see that reference to the law of nature and nature's God in the Declaration of Independence by Jefferson. And that's what he's talking about, is right reason. You know, that it's reasonable that if you're going to dissolve the bands which have connected you with another, that you give them just cause for what that is. And that's what he did with the Declaration of Independence. He wrote out the reasons why we were declaring independence. What a lot of people don't realize, people think that they can go out and make this Declaration of Independence again. They think that they can just write out another Declaration of Independence and free themselves from the tyranny of Measure 114. Uh, you can't. Because you didn't do a lot of the things that the early Americans did. And we've written about that, showing what they did. What I mean, they came here understanding more about the law not all of them, but uh, many of them, than many of the people do today at all. 
uh, like I said, the sheriff who thought that the Second Amendment gave you the privilege of bearing arms. And he actually used the word privilege because he was against Measure 114. Now, a number of sheriffs have come out and said they won't enforce it. But it doesn't require the sheriffs. State troopers can enforce it. Uh, so right now, I guess the FBI could enforce it. Or, you know, at least they could use it. But uh, we don't know who the police is going to be tomorrow or five years from now or six years from now. The, I tell you, I tell you, this idea of defunding the police and releasing criminals onto the street, they don't have any, they don't care about criminals. They want law and disorder, lawlessness and disorder. They want that. You go back to Germany. Germans wanted the same thing. I mean, some Germans. I mean, the whole fascist, communist thing. They had them. I mean, the communists are socialists. And the fascists were socialists. But they were diametrically opposed to each other. But they were, half of their opposition for each other was the competition to hold this position of being the head of a socialist state. Because a socialist state will centralize more and more power in the hands of the elite or, or the government. By nature, it will do this. And a socialist government, by nature, weakens the people. So they find themselves hard-pressed to stand against tyranny. I mean, you couldn't even stand against mask mandates. So many people didn't, didn't go along with the mask mandates and, and thought that they were ridiculous. But they couldn't even stand up to them. A lot of people went along to get along because they thought it was only going to last a couple of weeks. And then it lasted years. And now they're, they're talking about reinstituting them. And you can't do anything about it. I mean, you can whine and complain. But you can't do anything about it. And the reason you can't do anything about it is because of false prophets like Mark Knudsen. Which is, like I said many times, I'm picking on him. And he can come onto the program and defend himself if he wants. I invite him on. I'll give him ample time to say his piece. Uh, but I'm also going to talk about the gospel of the kingdom. But he's an example. And since he went out of his way to take away the rights of his neighbors to defend themselves, defend their family, and defend their communities. You know, see, the police officers in this county are stationed 75 miles away from me. So even if they left immediately after a 911 call, they're not going to get here for an hour or more. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, the, you know when, when Pelosi was having that hammer fight with uh, his friend, I mean, he called him a friend. I don't know if he was a friend. I don't know what that's all about. And I haven't explored it. I hear all kinds of rumors. But when he uh, had that battle, the cops showed up in two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't very far away. Well, that's not going to happen here. And the reality is, is you know, I mean, I, I generally speaking, I don't need a gun. I've actually had to deal with lawbreakers uh, in our community. And I specifically left the gun behind when I went to deal with them. I had somebody in the shadows with a gun. But <laughs> I went, I just went unarmed. Well, pretty much unarmed. I had a two-foot black flashlight, steel flashlight. So that could become a weapon, I guess. But uh, we resolved the issue 
somewhat amicably. As a matter of fact, uh, one of them I've known for years, actually worked alongside of him a little bit here and there, and I have a great deal of respect for him and his family. I mean, I think he's a grandfather now, but uh, so that was a long time ago. But the reality is uh, law, justice, mercy, and faith is the responsibility first and primarily the fourth branch of government which is you. <laughs> it's the people. Like I said this morning, the militia, everybody thinks, oh, a militia, a crazy militia people. Everybody between the ages of 17 and 45 who is able-bodied, every man in the United States, by law, is already a member of the militia. They don't have to join anything, sign up anything. They don't have to go buy fatigues. They don't have to get an army, uh, army coat or a gun and march around in the woods. They're already a member of the militia because they're between the ages of 17 and 45. If you didn't understand that, you probably don't understand what the militia is. If you didn't know that most of the public schools in the United States in the early days were built by the militia. If you didn't understand that most of the roads in the United States in the early days, or even in America, before there was the United States, was built by the militia. Voluntarily built by the militia. Because it's, it's, it wasn't military. Uh, fires were put out by the militia. I mean, did they have force fires back then? Oh, absolutely. Who put them out? U.S. Forest Service? Oh, there wasn't one. <laughs> there wasn't a U.S. Forest Service in 1850. U.S. Forest Service comes along with uh, Teddy Roosevelt. And, uh, I mean, basically, there wasn't even hardly U.S. Forest until Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> but uh, another whole story. The point is, is that the people did it. The fourth branch of government was the people. Because it was a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. And they protected one another. They kept one another safe. They took care of the social welfare of society. They took care of the elderly. They took care of the old people. They took care of education. They did all this without the government. That's the way it was in America. That's why America was great. That's why it was so prosperous. That's why my great-grandfather was so prosperous. is because everybody was doing that. In this sense of responsibility. Of tending to the weightier matters. What Jesus Christ called the weightier matters. Which is law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Was not in the hands of a remote government. You know, 3,000 miles away. That was one of the speeches of uh, Mel Gibson in The Patriot. Why should I trade a tyrant 3,000 miles away. For 3,000 tyrants one mile away. Well, I don't, I don't have 3,000 tyrants one mile away because some of my neighbors, what I would call neighbors, are at least 10 miles away because <laughs> we live out in the desert. But we have about 8,000 people, I think, in this county. And some of them believe that they have the right to take away the right of their neighbor to use their own property in a way that does not contaminate theirs. Everybody out here, a lot of people out here, I shouldn't say everybody, a lot of people out here, they come out here because of the wide open spaces and because you can, I can look 25, 50 miles across the desert and there's nobody there between me and the next range of mountains. There's nobody you can see. 
And so it's a wide open space as well, you know, in the cities you look out and you can see 50 feet and there's another house or maybe not even that far. So they like that open space. They like that fact that there's this open rolling ground that nobody lives on and it's all. But somebody comes in and buys the land and they want to put a, they got, say, 150 acres. And they want to put a little RV park, a little tiny RV park on two acres. And uh, they want to get the permits to do it. Because RV park, it's going to be rentals and all this stuff. So there's some permits. It's a commercial deal. And and people, 10 miles, 15 miles, almost 20 miles away, are complaining. Because he's going to put it in an RV park. Because they don't think we need it. Well, he wants it. Why can't he do it? And they they want the government to actually prohibit him from putting in that RV park. Now... In some places, you can't do that legally because people have already made codes up and, you know, land use codes. But according to the land use codes, that's a legitimate use. It's not adjacent to anybody. It's not really going to block anybody's view. But they're going to be, some people are going to look out and they're going to look way across the desert and they're going to see that little RV park out there on the two acres of ground. And they want to stop somebody from doing it. Well, that's not American. That's unchristian. You shouldn't be trying to stop them from doing that. Uh, why Why do you think you have the right to take away his right to the property? He's, well, I don't want to put one on my property. Well, you don't have to. If you, do, if you want nobody to be able to build uh, anywhere within five miles of you, <laughs> you know, because that's, that's what we're dealing with out here, you got to buy 20, 10, you know, what is it, 100 100 square miles of ground. You got to buy 10 miles across and 10 miles down and live right smack dab in the middle and then nobody can build within 5 miles of you and you're you're set. But if you can't afford to buy that much ground, you don't have the right to keep other people from using that ground, building a house and putting a few trailer spots on his house uh, on his property. That's you're trying to rob your neighbor. You covet your neighbor's property rights. You have the right to build it on your property. Why shouldn't he have the right to build it on his property? Just because you don't want it? Well, then buy his land. If you can't afford it, well, then you can't afford to take his rights away. So that's a simple little thing. But Newton actually wants to take away your right to own a gun. And he does it by claiming that, you know, they don't want multiple magazines, you know, uh, more than 10 round clips in magazines. And we talked a little bit this morning how that, it will actually, the way it's written, it can actually affect shotguns and, you know, 22 tube fed uh, uh, rifle. Uh, there are some exceptions and everything, but they, they leave it up to the law enforcement officer's discretion. Well, this is what they did with COVID. This is, well, we're not making a law that you can't go into the store if you don't have a mask. We leave it up to the discretion of the individual businesses. And they got away with that. And I know people who went into stores and they said, well, you have to wear a mask. I don't want to wear a mask. Oh, you have to wear a mask or, you know, you're not really endangering anybody by not wearing a mask. But they don't know that because they've been watching the media, which is another topic we're going to touch on today. Who's, Who's your media? Who's the source of truth for you? 
I mean, if you think CNN is the source of truth, you're in trouble. Tell you the truth, though, Fox News is all, isn't always the source of truth either. In the Bible, they talk about the mountains of Samaria. We've talked about this probably in Hosea and some of the other prophets. That That's actually a figure of speech. The mountains of Samaria are the people that you depend upon for the truth. The group of people, mountain being a group of people, not not a brick pile, but a mountain, a bunch of people, that are your mountains of Samaria. That's your source of truth. And, and it's a bunch of people because they're all getting little information from here and there, and, and then they share it, and they try to come to a conclusion as to what the, the truth is. Ultimately, you also need... Revelation, which we've talked about too, but that's a personal thing. But this is one of the big problems. Everybody is afraid. You know, there's Newton. He said another, uh, quite a few things, and uh, I jotted down some of his quotes. He says the the loss of life is pure tragedy. I don't disagree with that. Loss of life is pure tragedy. If uh, if somebody's coming into a uh, school. And they shoot ten kids. The loss of their life, those ten kids, is a tragedy. Absolutely. The loss of every one of those kids is a tragedy. If he comes into the school and somebody else shoots him, that's a tragedy too. But it's much less of a tragedy because he got killed before he could kill ten other people. And we see that down in Texas when a guy was shooting up a church. He, was, he went in there with a semi-automatic AR-15, and he was shooting up a church. And somebody heard the shooting and ran out, barefooted, with his AR-15. And the guy saw him with his AR-15, and he jumped in the car and fled. There was some exchange of shooting, but he jumped in the car and fled. Well, the guy... Who ran out? It was a actually an instructor for the NRA, and he had his AR-15. He he jumped in a vehicle with another guy, a cowboy guy. I kind of remember the the guy, and they chased the guy who was reloading to shoot more people at the church. But he wasn't going to shoot any more people that day. He was fleeing. What was he fleeing? He wasn't fleeing the barefoot guy who was an instructor. He was in, he was fleeing the barefoot guy's AR-15. <laughs> he's he's not afraid of barefoot guys. He would have just shot the guy if the guy didn't have an AR-15 too. But he's now fleeing the AR-15, which Mark Knudsen doesn't want anybody to own. He doesn't want anybody to have the ability to stop somebody who has. Maybe a six shooter and he's shooting guys. You know, you can, you can buy online black powder pistols that you have to load, you know, one, one bullet in a percussion cap and put in the lead bullet. But it's a six shooter. You can load it up one at a time and then you can fire six shots. You can actually buy extra cylinders, pop out the cylinder, pop in another one. So, you know, a really good revolver man can shoot, you know, he can shoot two, three, uh, he can actually shoot six targets in 1.2 seconds, I think it is, <laughs> something like that. It's, it's unbelievable. You know, old guy, I've seen him do it. He pulls out a revolver, 
and shoots like uh, a dozen targets in almost no time whatsoever. You know, and he's just got a revolver, which is legal. Now, the point that I'm making with that is you can actually buy those black powder guns without a license. <laughs> you get two of them. Put them in your holsters. <laughs> now, if, once you run out of those six bullets, you're it's going to take you a little while to reload. But those are actually, people bought those online. I know people who bought them online. I don't own any. But, yeah, and they're fat, you know, they're replicas, but they're, they shoot real bullets, uh, you know. And, but I, I suppose if Reverend Mark Knudsen knew about that, he'd probably try to outlaw that too. But he, he thought he could get away, because there's a lot of states that have capacity magazine laws, but they're very specific for certain be, uh, types of guns, very limited. His measure is quite a few pages long. And in my opinion, poorly written. And it will be challenged on that basis. Unfortunately, some people will probably challenge it on the wrong reasons. But if they can get it in an injunction against it, fine. But my concern is the delusion that this Mark Knudsen is under. And all the other ministers who are under the same delusion. That it's okay to take away the rights of others... So that you can have what you want. And this is what I was talking about this morning in great detail. Well, Mark Newton also said, when people die on the street, that is somebody's child. We have to remember that. That's not abstract numbers. That's a human being. We need to rise up. When my neighbors bleeds, we all bleed. Well, that's, that's a fascinating statement. And it's, it's not too far from the truth. But sometimes the devil's in the details. Let's examine what does he mean? What manner, in what manner do you mean rise up? Because you're not going to be able to do what that barefooted guy in Texas did when a guy was shooting up a Baptist church. You're not going to run out and stop him because you've got an AR-15 too. Because you're not going to have an AR-15. Nobody else is going to have one. None of your law-abiding citizens will have it because they, because of this measure that you passed. Now, they, they will argue that. But I've talked to uh, professional uh, gun dealers and, and firearms people that have been in this for a long time. And, and this, the, the way this bill is written, it could have extremely long-range consequences. I could tell you this. If you had that, you, know, you had an AR-15 with a 15-round capacity magazine. Now, you can have it in your house probably, and nobody's going to do it. Nobody's going to break in your house door and find it. And so, yeah, you have it. Oh, I still get to own mine. I just won't show anybody that I have it. Well, then when they're shooting up the church next to you, you don't want to run out and try to stop them because you could end up being arrested. I've seen this hundreds of times in other countries where do the same kind of laws. Yeah, the the old saying, good guys with a gun is an effective way to stop a bad guy with a gun. That's not the only way. And like I said, I've, I've stopped. I've dealt with people, violent people, without a gun. I don't recommend it for your average person on the street, but it's an actual doable thing. In truth, though, hundreds of thousands of times, crimes have been prevented or halted 
by the clear presence of a firearm. They didn't pull out a gun and point at anybody. I mean, people try to play with the statistics, but there's no doubt that hundreds of thousands of times the presence of a gun stops violent crimes. I mean, I, I could just tell you story after story, but we don't have enough time for it. But I actually personal stories of people trying to, uh, preparing to commit a crime, actually seizing uh, property of uh, and, and the means of, uh, of leaving of a man and a woman who are minding their own business. And then suddenly the, the husband pulls back his jean jacket and he has a side arm holster there under his jean jacket and there's a pistol available. And suddenly the guys who are putting their hands on the property, the hands wide open and they back up. <laughs> and they go away. I mean, there's a way more to the story, but it's it deters crime. It creates what I would like to call Criminal hesitancy. You know, we've all heard about vaccine hesitancy. <laughs> the idea that the guy, I mean, you want to want to stop crime in your house, put out a sign that says NRA, advocate of NRA, NRA member. <laughs> Whether you're a member or not, doesn't even have to. That will stop more crime than saying that you have, you know, electronic protection. <laughs> so, but but it creates criminal hesitancy that they're much criminal i deal with i've gone and visited people in jail as part of the ministry and everything that that's a real thing with criminals if they think you own a gun if if they even see a republican sign out front of their house they're less likely to want to rob it cuz they know that guy might is way more likely to own a gun but if you if you have you know uh, right to choose uh, signs out in front of your house and and, and pro uh, Democrat stuff and everything. Not that I, I know lots of Democrats that own guns, but the reality is they see signs that you you don't believe in. You, if you really don't believe in owning gun, put a sign out in front of your houses. We have no guns in this house, and we don't believe in owning guns or shooting criminals. Put that sign out in front of your house. <laughs> <laughs> See how long it is before you're burglar. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so if you're really concerned with the reduction of crime, you want to increase criminal hesitancy. And that's why everywhere you go in the United States where there have lots of gun laws, gun-free zones, that's where all the crimes and the multiple shootings take place. And so it's it's stupid logic. If you really care about people and you want to rise up to prevent crime, then allow anybody who is responsible to have that gun. And don't give the power to the government to decide who is responsible. You don't have the right to do that. The idea, the mere idea that you're going to take everybody's guns away because there's been somebody doing bad things in your community. That's crazy. If people are doing bad things in your community... You should want the unfettered right for community members who feel responsible enough to go and arm themselves. But it goes farther. And that's what we want to do is go farther before we run out of time because the time is flying while we're having fun here. But 
Very clearly, Jesus told his apostles, if you don't have a gun, excuse me, if you don't have a sword, which was the equivalent of a gun in those days, he didn't say a butter knife, he didn't say a spoon, he said a sword, sell your garment and go buy one. And that was a real thing. Christians were so well organized, because they were organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. We know that it's a matter of history. I don't know that... Uh, Mark Knudsen knows that. I don't know if most ministers know that, but that was a commandment of Christ that you organize in that fashion. And they did that, and it's very clear historically that they did that. And we see evidence of that for over a thousand years. Even up uh, into the time of early America, people were still organizing in that tens, hundreds, and thousands, which is part of the reasons why you were successful at the so-called American Revolution, which is just you standing ground and said, no, we're not going to do that. But you can't do that anymore because you have no network. You're not bound together by faith, hope, and charity. You're bound together by false doctrines of men who are smooth talkers like Mr. Knudsen. And uh, who is more in line with Ambrose and uh, the Constantine Church than the church established by Christ. Uh, because he... He believes in coveting his neighbor's goods. So I said that he's basically a false prophet. I mentioned the four, three places, at least in Revelation 16, 13, 19, 20, and 2010. And one of those has a, a clause in front of that, a verse in front of that, that is very key to what's going to happen in the future. What I want you to do is start realizing that the early churches were embryonic republics. And the United States was not a democracy where 51% of the people could take away the rights of the other 49 and suddenly say, oh, you can't have a gun anymore. You can only have guns that I approve of, that 51% of the people approve of. You don't have the right to do that in a republic. You could do that in a democracy, but the United States, or at least America, was not a democracy. Uh, now, it is today, there is a democracy within the republic, but the Constitution is still there. Now, your salvation is not the Constitution, and that's why I'm warning you, because what we're seeing here is just the tip of the iceberg. You know, Adams, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson said democracy is morose and runs to anarchy. Plato, who you know, talks about Plato's republic, he says dictatorships naturally arise out of democracies especially when they know they can vote themselves benefits, even though they're voting themselves benefits at the expense of their neighbor, which is the modus operandi of your natural, uh, your commonly occurring variety, social justice warrior. They're all socialists. Christ was not a socialist, preached against socialism, condemned socialism, uh, condemned the idea of men who exercise authority one over the other, taking from one class of citizen and redistributing wealth to another. Christ was absolutely opposed to that and commanded that his disciples not be that way. Mark Knudsen is that way. The modern churches preach that that's okay. But the early church had a daily ministration so that nobody had to go to Rome to get the free bread of Rome. They had their own tables of which... Rome did not eat, but they also did not eat of the tables of Rome. And Paul talks about this. Uh, David talks about this. 
Peter talks about this because that's a covetous practice. Now we explain all this on a page that I've been working on and I'll be improving it as time goes on. I see I can put in lots more links to other articles we had. But I think anybody who wants to fight measure 114 needs to understand the underlying causes of this delusional thinking coming out of churches that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods. Because what that does is it makes you a scattered flock. It divides the people. And you can't even deal with mask mandates. And you can't deal with uh, vaccine mandates. I live in the county, the most unvaccinated county in the state of Oregon. We also had less deaths than anywhere else in the state of Oregon <laughs> per capita. And, uh, and as the death rate is now rising amongst the vaccinated in excess of that of the unvaccinated, more of the vaccinated people are getting sick, going to hospitals and dying now than the unvaccinated. And, and for all kinds of causes. And life expectancy is dropping in the United States. We're already below Cuba. Winston Churchill also wrote that socialism is the philosophy of failure, the creed of ignorance, and the gospel of envy. Its inherent virtue is an equal sharing of misery. And you say, well, the United States is not a socialist nation. You have socialist programs coming out the kazoo. Left and right, everywhere. Social Security, socialist program. Uh, go read our article on the Ten Planks of the Communist Manifesto. All Ten Planks of the Communist Manifesto are law in the United States by regulation, if not actually by statute today. Now, there are going to be degrees of that, and we've seen those degrees, I have seen it, rising over the last 50 years, because I'm, I'm three-quarters of a century old, almost. Very close. And if you start coming together and start creating the bonds... That, you know, I don't want to mention militia, but I mean, even the French underground, they use the same process. Those bonds need to be created not by the foe that you face, but by love for one another. Those are the bonds that don't break, like the band of brothers in that miniseries, Band of Brothers. Their love for one another, their willingness to sacrifice for one another made them a powerful unit in World War II. It wasn't always about that. They weren't so numerous that they, you know they're like a nuclear bomb and killing all kinds of people, but they were difficult to stop. And I could give you all kinds of examples out of World War II, out of the Korean War, where a handful of men made a huge difference. Now, one of the things that Newton talks about, one of the quotes that I, I came across uh, of Newton, because I did a little bit of study now. I'd like to do more, but it's difficult to find out. But, you know, I can read between the lines and I, I, I know the catchphrases. I know how this all works. But, uh, uh, you know, he talks about the loss of life and all this kind of stuff. He said, I've always found action leads to energy. So if you're tired, act and join in. But he also talks about other things where he talks about his uh, cohorts. Uh, he actually uses the word cohorts. Talks about there being more. Oh, he says all the members of my cohorts have already accomplished some amazing things in their communities and the places they serve. So the energy and desire to see the church grow for the right reasons is energizing. 
But, of course, the church that he's growing is the Constantinian church, not the church established by Christ, because his tactics are the reverse of what Christ commanded us to do. And uh, he says it's powerful stuff, and he's absolutely right that it's powerful stuff. But where is it leading you? It's taking you down the road to bondage and destruction. And we know that because he is developing in the people an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by the rule of force, which is why he, he thought he could lower violence by taking away your right to defend yourself. Uh, he says there's more work to be done. So he's, he's not done. But right now we are going to celebrate with so much joy in our hearts knowing the brighter and better days are ahead. Uh, really? <laughs> I'm not convinced that there are brighter or better days because I know history. That, that he's instituted the rule of force and violence. He has instituted that to take away the rights of his neighbor. And if you don't care about the rights of your neighbor, you're going to lose your rights. That's, that's a given. That's built into the law of nature. That's built into creation itself. As you judge, so shall you be judged. And he doesn't know that. He doesn't see that. He doesn't comprehend that. But of course, He's been spending a great deal of his life coveting his neighbor's goods through the one purse of a society of socialism. And so have most of you. So, like I said this morning, uh, where Stossel was talking about, the Republicans have won some of these races. And so now, if they're in control, I don't know if they've ended up in control of the Congress or whatever. He says, now we will go broke slower. <laughs> He's not saying we're changing course. We haven't repented. Repenting is turning around. That's actually what the word repenting means. The things that made America great is not the president again. It's not the Congress. It's not the judiciary. You can tend to those things if you're a citizen of the United States and you're going to be voting for those things. But if you really want to understand the keys to liberty under God, you need to understand the righteousness of God. And you need to understand what is not righteous. And it's not righteous to want to take away the rights of others. You're just going to have to put up with that trailer park, <laughs> you know, five miles away or ten miles away or twenty miles away because he has a right to build it. And you're also going to have to put up with the fact that your neighbor has a right to choose what he's going to do with his property. What property he's going to own. If he wants to own a AR-15, he gets to own an AR-15. If he wants to own a 22 with a tube, uh, tube loading deal that he can put 15 bullets in, he gets to do that. Now, he doesn't get to shoot me. <laughs> he doesn't get to shoot my, my family. He doesn't get to kill one another. And, well, I, I don't have much fear of my neighbors trying to do that because there's a great deal of criminal hesitancy in the world because anybody who can shoot back is less likely to get shot. <laughs> that's, just, that's just a given. That's just the law of nature, you know. Uh, and so, but what people don't realize is that you need to come together in a way that creates real social bonds that help 
you survive liberty under God. Help you implement liberty under God. 90 seconds. And if you don't do that, if you don't come together to do that, so I say, go to preparingyou.com, hisholychurch.org, uh, sign up for the network. Start meeting other people who care about your rights, want to care about your rights, want to help you maintain your rights, but want to do it the old-fashioned way, the way they did it in early America. And if you don't want to do that, good luck, because I think you're going to need a lot 60 of 60 seconds. So anyway, uh, thank you for coming, uh, and we'll see you next week on Keys of the Kingdom. But join the network and God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.